Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, January 3rd, 2012, and this is episode 93. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super secret location beneath the Dynasty Theater here in Hong Kong is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, Paul. Uh, welcome back. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, Happy New Year. It's, uh, it's 2012, and uh, right. this is going to be our... I guess sort of our year-end show, our year-end wrap-up. Uh, we're going to be covering some of the movies from December, but it's this is the first recording we're doing of 2012. We'll actually be getting into the new movies of 2012, which I guess would officially kick off our season three next week. Yes, with sadly with uh, Speed Angels. Well, we don't know if it's sadly or happily yet because we haven't watched it, right? It could be an yeah. awesome film. <laughs> then the trailers are totally done by different people. Okay. <laughs> which, which you know, could could be a possibility when we talk about some of the films that we're going to be talking about this week. Um, what are those films going to include, Kevin? Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Trey Hark's Flying Swords of Dragon Gate um, 3D and um, Turning Point 2 for East Screen. And for West Screen, uh, we'll be talking about Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, and uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. So three sequels and one kind of a remake. Mm, All right, that sounds good. All of that and much more coming up right after this. All right, so this is normally the segment where we have some news, um, but we kind of threw the show together at the last minute, so we don't really have official news to talk about this week, and I do apologize for that. You know, it's... It's interesting. How how was your holiday, Kevin? I mean, we we haven't actually had a normal show in what seems like about a month now. Uh, maybe a couple weeks because we did yeah about two three weeks I yeah. think. But yeah, I mean the holidays for me didn't start until Christmas, the long weekend, and that was pretty uneventful. I mean, being you know by myself all the time means I saw a lot of movies. Uh, hung out at home. Um, New Year's Eve was a little different. I had some friends over and we watched the um the big Japanese. New Year's Eve music show live on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, had some hot pot, so that was a, I guess, a fun in a different way. Uh, and how was your holiday, Paul? I, mean, I, I saw on Twitter that you had a pretty rough trip back. Yeah, it was. Uh, wow. Uh, you know, ten for the past ten years living in Hong Kong, I've had one airline that I've turned to. Um, I because I've usually made two trips a year, going over once in the summer and then once at Christmas to visit my family. And I've wanted to stick with one airline to build up miles and, you know, to have sort of a, a customer loyalty. I, I like to be a loyal customer when I'm with a company that I like. And for me, that company has been Continental. And sometimes they haven't always been the cheapest option, but I always felt, well, in the long run, it would pay off with miles and everything. And and actually did build up um, some good mileage. I actually got a free flight um, that I used last year, I think, after 10 years of building up uh, frequent flyer miles. 
But this past year, Continental has had a merger with another airline company called United. And ah. my assumption is, is that they're going to keep the United name eventually, and they've kept the Continental logo, but they're still in the midst of the transition. So you can still go to the Continental.com website, and you can still book tickets through them. You can still use the mileage plan from Continental, which is called One Pass, um, but they still have United has their own mileage plan, and I'm I'm guessing at some point it's all going to be merged under the United banner with the Continental logo. I thought it's the other way around. I thought United was going to go into become Continental. Well, you know, it, maybe, but from everything but anyway. that I've seen over the past year, it looks like they're going to keep the United name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could be wrong, but but that seems to be the way things are going. I'm not sure, um, but. This is sort of neither here nor there. I, I've I've never really had a lot of experience using United, but like I said, in the past 10 years, I've chosen Continental, and I've been very happy with them. They've always pretty much had good customer service. The flights have always been on time. I've had, I had one delay once because of foul weather in Newark, and they put me up in a hotel, and it was a fairly smooth experience, and that was nothing to do with Continental. That was that time the whole airport was down. But this past trip, um, starting on the way over, the, the the airplane we were on, we had a delay, about a two to three hour delay on the ground because the entertainment system was not working. Um, and, and their planes have the modern entertainment systems where everything's kind of built into the seat backs. So everybody has their own, you know, their own, their own choice of movies, which is a nice thing. I can remember flying on planes when you didn't have this option. Um, but the entertainment system didn't work and eventually they decided, well, we're going to take off anyway. And it was like two hours of maintenance and then another hour of paperwork. But we finally got off the ground sans entertainment system, which was fine because I had my iPad loaded with stuff. You know, I, I had planned for, um, you know, having a lot of time in the air because it's like a 15 hour flight that maybe they'd have some movies I'd want to watch, but I'd want to watch some stuff of my own. So I, I was fine with that. I, I was fairly entertained, but I'd had a flight coming back to Hong Kong where the entertainment system had been broken once before, and Continental gave everybody um, like $50 in vouchers um, because of that. This time going over, not nada, nothing. I just said, oh, we're sorry, and, and that was it. And I thought, well, okay, you know, uh, these things happen. I'm not going to be a, a stickler about it. Then on the way back, um, last week we were coming. My parents were actually supposed planning to come on this trip with us. They were supposed to be here in Hong Kong right now, right at this time right now. And we got to Newark, which is the main hub that we fly to, to come back to Hong Kong, to catch the flight to Hong Kong. And we boarded the plane, and then we were on the plane for, I guess, about three hours. And they said, well, we've got this problem with the GPS, this GPS light. It's acting funny. Um, and it looks like we're not going to be able to fly over the North Pole using the GPS system like we normally do. Wait, so the plane took off already? No, 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 the plane was still, we, they had boarded the plane, but we were still sitting at the gate for about three hours. Oh, God. And they, they told us, well, we're going to reroute the plane uh, another way so we don't have to rely on the GPS, but now we've got to add fuel for that route. I'm thinking, well, they should be pretty full, right? I mean, we were supposed to take off three hours ago. The plane hasn't been running, so it should be pretty fuel, but whatever. So they started adding fuel, and that's like another hour. And then they come on, and they say, well, 
we've got a problem now because the the steward crew, you know, the stewards and stewardesses, they're over time, uh, which mean meaning they're only allowed to work so many hours, and if they took off now, they'd be over that time limit, and federal aviation rules prohibit that. So they had to ground the flight. So basically, they took everybody off the plane and said, well, we're going to have to fly you out tomorrow. Oh, jeez. And this is after like four hours of sitting on the plane waiting. Um, and so then they had to, everybody was in a long line trying to give, give everybody hotel arrangements and everything for the evening. My parents at this point, you know, older folks, uh, they, they, they'd had it, especially my mother. She doesn't travel well. And she basically said, no, I'm done. I, I want to go back home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had a very nice representative, took care of my parents, basically got them on a flight back to Florida that evening. Um, and, and got them home. My wife and I, we ended up going to a hotel. They said, come back in the morning. Flight leaves at 6, which means we had what? to... Yeah, we had to be there. You know, they always say international flights three hours early. Because we had to be at the airport um, very early, uh, like, you know, f- f- 4 o'clock. So we got to the hotel, finally um, got some dinner, and got some sleep, got up very early, shuttled back to the airport, and started waiting again. So this time, we're, you know, we, we, we were there ready for this clock flight, and they weren't, the, the plane wasn't ready for some reason. Uh, they finally started boarding us, I want to say around 7, an hour late. Uh, then we got on the plane, and we waited again. And this time they said, well, because some people had decided to not take the flight, but their bags were still there, the plane supposedly is not allowed to fly if... The person's not on the plane. It's a homeland security kind of a thing. And I was thinking, well, you know, that's probably like my mom and dad are among those people. They said there are five bags uh, that they couldn't account for for people. And so they had to take those bags off. And so that was another two hours of them trying to find the bags and take them off. So another three hour, you know, wait sitting on the plane, which is fine. You know, I'm sitting there watching movies the whole time. It, It really wasn't a big deal, but... You just, in those kind of situations, you want to say, all right, let's get on with it. It's a long flight back. Let's just get it started. So eventually, um, they said, they were said, we're down to one bag. So apparently they had found four, and they're still down to one bag. Um, and then we guess they found it because they said, all right, here we are. We're good to go. And they took off. So 48, uh, 24 hours later, we're actually fi- finally in the air, and, and we're headed back to Hong Kong. So we get back to Hong Kong. And we go through customs, go through immigration, get to baggage claim. And what do I see going around the carousel but both of my parents' bags? <laughs> you know, and so all that, that stuff that they told us where they said, oh, we're not allowed to fly. We have to find these five bags. I'm just thinking it was BS because my parents' bags are going around the carousel. I actually pulled them off. And I'm thinking my parents are already back in Florida without their bags. Um, now do I take them home myself and tell my parents, I have your bags and and I'll pay UPS to send them back? Or do I now trust the airline to, you know, try and deliver my parents' bags back? And they've messed everything up on this trip so far up to this point. Um, and a lot of the people I talked to on the flight, they're all saying the same thing. Oh, this is, you know, I've always flown Continental and this, none of this is, this is all because of United. It's all because of the merger with United. So, um, Make a long story 
uh, not so long. Uh, the the merger has done bad things to my airline, and I'm I'm very very unhappy. Um, like I said, ten years of flying, very few problems in those ten years. Twice a year, and the few times there were problems, Continental customer service has been great. I don't know what's going on. I, I you know, I, I kind of want to put the blame on United, but I don't know if that's fair. I mean, I knew I know bad things happen. That's usually fair. Yeah. In terms of United, when it comes to United, yes. But there seem to be a lot of people echoing the same things that I was saying in that this merger has uh, done bad things to a formerly good airline. So, um, but, <clears throat> you know, we're finally back in Hong Kong. Uh, unfortunately, my parents didn't make it this time, but they got a voucher. So they're able to use their ticket again within a certain time period if, um, if they want to come again later. And we're trying to work that out somehow, logistically. So that was the travel aspect of, of my holiday, which was not as fun as normal. But the, the other aspects of the holiday were good, you know, visiting the family and just relaxing. But it's good to be back. Still a little bit, little bit of jet lag going on. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, 2012, here we go. All this right. is our last year, right? I mean, according to uh, big, big blockbuster movies, right? We're, yeah, I guess like eleven months to go. But yeah, yeah. glad, glad you're back, uh, back safely. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, more movie nights for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was it. Um, but you know, let's talk about 2012 itself or 2011. I mean, uh, we saw a lot of movies over the past year. Any we did. anything sticks out in your mind? Anything that? Um, you saw that we talked about on the show, or maybe you saw and we didn't talk about on the show, that's, uh, you know, a favorite. Ah, well, if you want to talk about Hong Kong and China, I mean, there's... I don't want to ruin the um, upcoming Love Hong Kong film award list that I'm compiling, but it's probably will be, you know, Let the Birds Fly, um, Chen Kai Ge's Sacrifice, um, Peter Chan's Wuxia, um, what else? Uh, Life of Principle. Those are all, you know, pretty good films. Um... There's one film with the killer, um, not very good, Love in Space, but it has excellent subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so you wonder uh, who but, did those. Yes, I wonder who did that one. Um, as for West Screen, a um, couple of standouts, um, and that doesn't matter because, you know, I don't want, you know, putting on together a list yet for that. But, you know, some films include, you know, Certified Copy, the, the French, the European film, I guess, uh, Tree of Life, the Terrence Malick film, um, Moneyball. The baseball film starring Brad Pitt. Um, also, uh, what else? I saw um, Girl of the Dragon Tattoo, the Fincher version, a few days ago, and I, I liked it a lot. Um, just looking at my um, my big Excel work, uh, my big Excel sheet here of stuff that uh, stuff I watched. Um, but Hong Kong, uh, Rango, Rango, the the Gore Verbinski uh, animated film. But otherwise, I mean, it's been pretty good year when it comes to i think west screen had a better year than east screen mm. i would say um how about you paul what 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 movie stood out to you well yeah i i i, I concur i think uh, let the bullets fly was probably a favorite um thinking back on uh you know some hong kong stuff um you know donnie yen's uh wuxia i think is is a strong contender for me um West screen. Uh, I have, I haven't seen David Fincher's Dragon Tattoo yet. Uh, have you seen the original? Yes, I saw yeah. the uh, what was it? Finland? No, Swedish. Swedish, Swedish yeah. film. Yeah, I've seen um, that. I haven't, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Fincher's version to compare the two. Fincher's version doesn't really need to be made uh, because there's so many 
similar plot elements considering they're from the source material. Yeah. But it's interesting to see how Fincher takes on the material. Yeah. I think we might talk about because that's getting released this week in Hong Kong. So I think we might yes, talk that about that one week. next week for West Screen. Um, you are the apple of my eye. I mean, uh, kind of a very standard fare, but I, something about it I really liked. Um, I think that probably stuck out in my mind. Um, West Green Animated Tintin, I think, is uh, is up there on my list. And a couple of films that I don't know if... I, I only saw them last year, so I don't know if they technically would qualify um, because they're both from 2010, but they're both from Norway. And what, one is called Troll Hunter, which mm. is... Um, it's sort of like a Blair Witch Project... Uh, type or, or genre i guess of film but much better done and much more entertaining because it's got trolls in it mm. um and then another film uh called rare exports which i didn't know much about and i just watched this my dad had pulled it uh from some dvd website uh and it's actually on amazon i actually ordered a, a blu-ray of it but um, an amazing film, a, an amazing holiday film that I think is destined to become a cult classic. And not at all what I thought. Um, I thought this was a film about like an evil Santa. Um, but it's really sort of a reimagining of the, the, the Christmas myth. And it's sort of it's sort of dark, but not what I was expecting. I was kind of expecting it was going to be like torture porn kind of stuff. And it's nothing like that at all. It's just this really weird take on the mythology. It's very, very unique. It's very, very original. Uh, and uh, the, the Blu-ray actually has a couple of short films that the guys who made this film did um, that, are in the, that, are, that are in the same vein. They use the same actors um, o over the course of a couple years. And it builds on this notion of, of this, this Santa mythology that's just really, really quirky and, and really, really fun. And I'd say if you're looking for something different and something that's holiday related, but not in the way that you would think, um, you want to take a look for that. It's called Rare Exports. It's on iTunes. Is it? Rent. Yes. yes. It's, 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 it's just really, really different. And I really, really enjoyed stuff like that. And Troll Hunter 2, the same kind of stuff. And really good production values coming uh, from some of these companies in, in Europe, uh, making me kind of excited for for stuff to come. What else is it? Attack the Block? I don't know. Um, oh, yeah. I, just saw, I saw that actually before the end of the year. Yeah. Like, um, again, uh, sort of coming from the, you know, the, the indie side of things, although they do have ties to the, you know, the guys from um, Hot Fuzz and, and uh, Shaun of the Dead and whatnot. Um, still kind of, you know, quirky and, and different and I really enjoyed that one as well. Um, so, yeah, I just... A lot of stuff that we'll be talking about, like you mentioned, in the upcoming uh, LoveHongKongFilm.com, uh, what, what would we call it? the listings? The awards. Like, awards, the award. yeah, which yes. will be coming up in a couple of weeks. And we've got a lot of big stuff coming, too. We've got Chinese New Year in like two weeks. Uh, it seems to be really early this year for some reason. It is. It um, is quite early this year, yes. And we'll have a bunch of new films. Uh, you know, I have just saw the trailer for the... The new All's Well Ends Well 2012. Um, so I'm counting four right now, yeah. yeah. Four Chinese films. Yeah. So a lot of stuff coming, a lot of stuff to talk about. 
And well, I think we you know, probably want to talk about the, the films of December. All right, so we've got two e-screen films to talk about this week. We're going to be talking about first, Flying Swords of Dragon Gate. Um, and if I look, as I look at the Chinese title, is 3D actually included in the Chinese title? Uh, no. No. Actually, it's just, just the Chinese title. Yeah, 3D okay. is added on. Yeah. Uh, but this is a 3D film, and... Uh, I you know I I we we've, we've raged on about 3D before, and I think Kevin has some things he'll talk a little bit about the 3D. I would have liked to have seen this film not in 3D, but they did not seem really? to have that option here in Hong Kong. They did in China though. Yeah, um, and I ended up seeing seeing it at the Dynasty, where not only was it in 3D, but it was in the the Dynasty Theater has two houses, and it was in House One, which has a big like one section of the screen is com- is completely discolored so the 3d makes that stand out even more so that was fun um but i'll talk about that experience in a moment so kevin why don't you tell us a little bit about soy hark's latest uh go into the plot if you can uh because that was a bit of a challenge for me <laughs> uh and then you know tell us your thoughts on it okay uh i, I can't believe you watched it the dynasty ball. <laughs> it's just well you know I-, I i wanted to see it in a good theater but i you know it was just this past weekend yeah and it wasn't really playing anywhere it, um, it, it kind of yeah because it's, it's been out a couple weeks and the you know the time slots everything at the the nice cinemas was like at a time which wasn't good yeah it, it's tough because it didn't do very well here in hong kong even though it's doing phenomenal business in china um but anyway i I saw this film in IMAX 3D, so I have a different, a little different impression uh, from you. But uh, yeah, okay, so Trey Hark's Flying Sword to Dragon Gate, um, kind of a reimagining. He calls it a reimagining, but in a way, it's also a continuation of, um, which one is this, the 1992 one, uh, New Dragon Inn? Is that the one? Uh, yes, the, I think that's the one. Yeah. Um, the one with, I want to uh, say Bridget Lin. Yes, Bridget Lin, Maggie Chun, and, and uh, was Chet Li in that one too? I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't know. Uh, it's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, actually, that one in itself is also a remake of an earlier film by by uh, back in the '60s. But let's not go into history because I don't know much about it, or I don't, I can't recall right now. Um, so the film is is both in a way a little bit of continuation, but mostly a reimagining, which means you don't really have to watch any of the earlier versions. I think to to understand the film, at least I didn't. I didn't have. I didn't watch it, and I and I followed it fine. Um, this is Trey Hart's um, actually officially second film in 3D because he actually shot a test feature film called Catching Monkey in order to do the test necessary to make this film. But this is the first one that was released. Uh, the film stars Trey. Um, sorry, Jet Li as. Um, well, actually, I just go into the, the background of the story. The, the the story takes place in the Ming Dynasty. Uh, when the, the court had uh, two bureaus uh, called the East and West bureaus. Uh, both are ran by, I think, eunuchs. Um, they're kind of like the, the CIA and FBI's of the main court, uh, if you will. Um, so the, the beginning of the film, the leader of the East Bureau, uh, played by Gordon Liu, uh, is murdered by, by Jet Li, who is kind of like a freedom fighter. Uh, who is fighting all these corrupted officials, including both in East and West Bureau, because these guys essentially uh, persecute anyone that goes up against them, and they create a lot of paranoia and fear inside the court, uh, especially amongst those who don't agree with the policies of the court. Um, 
So with after the assassination of the East Bureau chief, um, the West Bureau, ran by um, a eunuch played by Alois Chan, um, is is trying to vie for power within the court. So so they decided to essentially take up the role of hunting down um, Jet Li's warrior uh, character. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, near the West, uh, someone else is actually impersonating um, Jet Li's character, uh, going around and saving people, uh, and that. That woman is played by Zhou Xun. Um, so while while Zhou Xun is rescuing one of these innocent people, he, she she comes across a woman um, who was actually one of the um, what do you call the I guess the like girl a concubine. Yeah, a concubine of the court who is pregnant uh, and 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 could possibly uh, endanger the I guess the the um, concubine the actual concubine's power because she's I think mean, one of the one of the uh, servants. Yeah, yeah, she's one of the servants in the court. So because servants is pregnant, so she could she could um damage the power of the concubine. So the West Bureau chief has sent people out to to hunt her down. But the Joshin character rescues her and they both go westward uh in order to get her to safety. Um so meanwhile, Jet Li's character is also following these two characters out to the west. Um Meanwhile, uh, another group of people, um, they, all, they, all, they all gather at this place called the Dragon Inn, an uh, inn that is right in the middle of a desert. Uh, and these part, different parties have gathered, uh, including um, uh, the West Bureau's people, um, a group of uh, Tartars, I think, the Tartar tribe, uh, led by Guaylan uh, uh, May's character. Um, also, two kind of Wanderers played by uh, pop star Lee Chun and also Alois Chan playing a second character, and they all come to this place called the the Dragon Gate Inn, and uh, of course they're going to clash. But I won't. I'll, I'll stop there because then then the big twist comes. Um, Trey Hark uh, made this film especially for 3D. Uh, you can tell in all the composition, and I think he blows it out of the water. I think he totally know what he's doing. Uh, every every shot is composed for 3D, uh, extra depth. You can see the extra depth. He's really using the technology and is using it very beautifully. You can tell from the opening shot of the film, which is um, a flying aerial CGI aerial shot that flies across the port into ships, um, through ships, into ships, into the bow, while the credits is is flying into the screen. And you know from that moment on that Treyarch knows what he's doing every almost every single shot in this film is is composed specifically for 3d and and it it looks beautiful i think um however in using 3d trey hark is opting to use kind of longer shot lengths uh because you can't cut as fast because uh then you lose the viewer's attention and it makes people go dizzy and they grow headaches so he's opting for longer shots but using that also means that he can't use as much practical effects because to make practical effects convincing, he needs to do a lot of quick cuts. So uh, there's a lot of reliance on CGI, and the CGI is actually pretty lackluster, especially when you have people flying, and of course the big climax, which involves a lot of uh, tornadoes in the desert, sandstorms, and things like that, and it gets kind of silly, uh, too too CGI, so to speak. Um, but really, it's all about the 3D effects, and you know, from fl- daggers flying in your face, or Jet Li's ribbon and his hair popping out, or how the characters are 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 placed in certain shots, or even Jet Li looking through like a hole in a in a in a cloth. You know, it, it all looks great. I think in 3D. Um, but the you know, story, okay, yeah, there's a story. 
I guess. There's a story. Uh, the setup takes a while. It takes about the first so the first half of the film. It's about how these characters get to the Dragon Gate Inn. Um, it takes a while to get there. Um, even though there are quite a few fight sequences, uh, I felt it took a little long to get them out there. But once every everyone's out in Dragon Gate Inn and they all clash and you know the double crosses begin and things like that, I, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, even though the ending kind of ran a little too long for me. Um, the action design is not is by Yuan, Yuan Bun and I think two other action choreographers. They're not particularly great or particularly memorable, but um, but I think it serves the 3D really well. Uh, like I said, the even the action in a way is designed for 3D, and it, I think it's used pretty well. Uh, a lot of little little um, inventive touches, just like a good Trehark movie always has. Um, I think among the big uh, ensemble cast, Zhou Xun and Alois Chan, um, they're the best. Uh, Zhou Xun has this, you know, woman warrior. She is kind of the continuation of a character from the earlier film. Um, the flute apparently is the con- is the connecting, is the linking, is the bridge between the two films. Um, so I guess people who watch the older films who want to watch out for that here. Uh, but her character is great. Her her you know super woman warrior thing. Um, Alois Chan doing two characters. He is like the most gorgeous Chinese actor ever made. I think. His skin is always perfect, whether he's playing a eunuch or he's playing this dumb, happy-go-lucky guy. Um, even like, yeah, even when he's playing dad and he's in a desert, he has like perfect skin. It's, it's beautiful. Um, but I think he's he has a lot. I think he's kind of aware of that image and he plays it off well, especially when he's switching between two characters. Um, I liked him a lot, even though I'm usually not a big fan of his. Uh, Li Yun-Chun, who plays... Um, kind of a tomboyish warrior which i guess fits into her pers- persona um actually got some laughs because i watched this movie in shenzhen um and Li chun is known kind of as a tomboyish pop star and her tomboyish image um i guess some people find that funny so when she showed up in the film people laughed when they realized it was her um but i think she was actually quite good um, it's nice to see that with detective d and and this film that trey hark is finally making movies that are fun Instead of movies that you know, just throw a lot of stuff at you. I think even I, I would, even though you know it doesn't have a lot of fans, I would even say all oh, about women is kind of the beginning of that mm. Trey Hart coming back. You know, making fun movies again, making you know people have fun instead of just in awe or even exhausted from what he has to throw at the audiences. Um, so I I like this film quite a lot. Um, I again I saw it twice. I've seen it in IMAX 3D and in IMAX actually filled, and I saw it on the um. Actually, at the Shenzhen, the Shenzhen IMAX screen, which is uh, fit for one of the multiplexes IMAX, and it's in the widescreen ratio. So the film actually filled up the entire screen. Um, so it looked great. Uh, it was quite astonishing to see this Chinese Musha film in IMAX 3D. Um, and I saw it again in, in Hong Kong, the Cantonese version, regular, you know, normal 3D. And even that, even then, it looked quite good. Um, so... Definitely in capital, see it and definitely see it in 3D. I think I'm a lot more enthusiastic about the 3D than you, Paul. But um, yeah, I'd like to hear what you, why, why weren't you impressed with this technology here? Yeah. Um. Well, it, do I have this correct that the, uh, the 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 young woman who was playing the maid, who was um, ultimately rescued by Zoshan and fleeing to the west, wasn't was that Mavis Fan from yep. Taiwan? Yes, she is Mavis fan. Yeah, yeah I did. I didn't quite recognize her at first, but yeah. yeah. Uh, also, a pop star of some renown. Um, early she started out as a pop star, but then she's kind of grown to this avant-garde musician yeah. type. But yeah, 
But and I is this her? This is her first movie role, or? Oh uh, no, she was in Lover's Discourse. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, last year. But I'm not sure how prolific she was with film work before that. Not very, I think. Um, so yeah, I you know I was excited to see this film. Um, I, I I'm glad that Soy Hark's kind of returning to to his roots. But as I watched this, I kept thinking, am I just watching a more expensive version of Wong Jing's Treasure Inn? Because it's kind of got the same elements, right? I mean, you got these guys going to, on this treasure hunt. They're ending up at this inn. Um, there's court officials involved. Everybody's, you know, there, there's an attractive woman who runs the inn. And there's a big storm, a desert sandstorm again. And I was just thinking, wow, this just, um, I, I don't know what it is this year. It's, it's That seems to be the... Uh, the the, the the tropes maybe that's what the effects are good at doing is like sandstorms now so they they want to um run with that but well i, I guess one could say that even treasure in is is influenced by the earlier dragon eight in film yeah to some extent to some extent okay. um or treasure hunt not not <laughs> no. ronald Ch- not ronald chang's but um what was it uh jay chow's right Treasure Hunter, yeah, Treasure yeah. Hunter, maybe. yeah. Sorry. I mean, um, if I saw that movie, I would go, "Yeah, I could do this so much better," and make my own movie. <laughs> um, so the original Dragon Inn, as I remember, had Bridget Lin in the main role, and Tony Leung, uh, Maggie Chung, and Donnie Yen were the were the big stars. Um, kind of had me thinking that maybe they'd bring in a Donnie Yen cameo for this, just for fun. But um, no such luck. We get Jet Li instead. Who's fine, uh, but again, I want to go back to, I think it was Fearless, you know, and he said, this is my last martial arts movie. <laughs> and like, here he is, he's still yeah, doing martial he, arts movies. He's broken that promise for, for yeah. a very long time. Yeah. Um, so, I, and I'm fine with it. I mean, I think he's still fit and he's still doing stuff and he looks great here. Um, not his best martial role, though. I mean, it's a lot of wire work. There is a lot of CG going on. Um, but it works. It's obvious that Soy Hark knows what he's doing. Um, and this feels like a Soy Hark movie. I mean, it feels very much in the same vein as um, uh, a little bit of Dragon Inn. Uh, I got a lot of, uh, um, uh, what was the other one with Bridget Lynn? Um, East is Red vibe. Um, Swordsman. A lot of that kind of vibe going on here. And if you like those films, I think you're going to love uh, Flying Swords of Dragon Gate. Um, again, this is a visual spectacle. Uh, it just, there's so much going on, and it takes so long to get into what's going on. And then what seems to be the main thing you're supposed to be paying attention to changes in a few places. It's like, all right, first it's about this thing happening and then we're, we're going to go over here and it's about this thing happening and then finally we're going it, to it, it's 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 about this other thing um and that's fine i just i don't know i didn't really engage with the characters because there were so many of them and i think part of the problem is detective d um after seeing detective d and having such strong central characters like you know the character of d and having, um, you know, the, the, the Empress and Karina Lau's character be so strong, I kept looking for that kind of strength of character here, and I didn't really get it, because I think it was just, there were too many people to pay attention to, and nobody really had enough of a presence for me. 
Um, I'd say that, yeah, Zoshan probably has the strongest presence of anybody and even outshines Jet Li. Um, I do agree that Ali's Chan, uh, his sort of dual role was fun. But again, it's kind of going back to the same kind of Shakespearean kind of tropes that when you have two characters who look alike and get mistaked for each other, it's sort of a comedy of errors thing. There's only so much you can do with that, and, and we've seen that kind of done before. Um, it's still effective here. It still works. It's just not fresh. Um, I'd still say this is, you know, one of the best films of 2012 just because of the way it's put together. You know, it's 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 very solidly put together. As I said, it is very much a Soy Hark film, and it's a return to his roots like Detective D was, and that's really a sign of quality. And I, I think you're right. I, I mean... I really enjoyed All About Women, and I know a lot of people didn't, but, you know, I, I'm really pleased with the work he's been doing since then, for the most part. Um, again, the 3D, yeah, yeah, I did see it at Dynasty, not the best place to watch a 3D movie, but 3D in general for me is kind of a meh. I mean, I could very much see the 3D directed at me in, in a few places, which was fine, you know, the flying daggers and, and the the big flying logs and stuff coming out of the screen. But I would have been fine seeing it in 2D, and I think it'll be fine watching it on a, you know, big HD 2D screen at home. So, yeah, I mean, just a more expensive ticket price. Um, although I, I saw it at Dynasty, so it was like $5 more. <laughs> Not that much. But, yeah, see it. I mean, it's it's definitely a film of 2011 that is, you know, one of the best one, one worth seeing, especially if you like these kind of, you know, genre epic films. Did you watch this in uh, Cantonese or Mandarin? Home? I saw the Cantonese one. I did want to see Mandarin, but again, I my selection choices were very limited. So. Yeah. Actually, the, the Mand- I've seen both versions, and the Mandarin version, even though it has um, some of the original voices of the actors, no one seems to be speaking what's being said on screen. Yeah, no, that's like, no yeah, sync yeah. sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great kind of... Uh, it, it's... It's a little frustrating, but at the same time, it kind of even it's even more like '90s, '80s Troy Hart. It's like, oh, no one's speaking what's on screen anymore, even when they're speaking, even the same actors. Yeah, yeah. that kind of little fun. But yeah, I, I will recommend the Mandarin version if you want to hear the original actors' voices, especially Joe Shun, whose whose voice isn't really you know repl- yeah. replicable, I guess. Let's move on and talk about uh, our second film of this episode, and that is Turning Point 2. Um, now, Turning Point 2 is uh, a sequel of sorts, but not really to Turning Point 1, which came out in 2009, which is really weird because I kind of thought this film was from last year. It seems like it's more recent for some reason. It is, I um, think. It, it, it's, it says 2009, though. I mean, yes. and, and I thought it was a 2010 film for sure. I mean, I it just doesn't seem that old, but but apparently it is. Well, because there was a whole TV series in between, I guess. Yeah, well, the TV series was this just this last year, right? Yeah, um, right. 2000, 2011, and so this came comes on the heel of that very, very quickly. So this was really a case of a, of a you know, typical Hong Kong production. Um, have, you, have you seen Lives of a Mission? This, this TV I've show? seen a few episodes. It didn't. It didn't engage me that much. I didn't. I didn't watch the whole thing. I, I blame Bosco Wong. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I just that's the easy one to play. I'm, I'm <laughs> not. I'm. I. I just can't get in. Get in, into stuff where he's like one of the main guys. I mean, I've seen some other dramas where he's like a supporting character, like um, Moonlight Resonance and stuff that I really, really liked because it's got other characters who are sort of more in the fro forefront, like Moses Chan and whatnot. But in that one, he had such a prominent role. I just, eh, just kind of turned me off. And uh, I couldn't get in. I, I thought I'd go back and watch it later, maybe at some point. I didn't know they were going to make a a movie right on the heels of of, of that. But um, so basically, this is a sequel to this TVB drama series called Lives of a Mission. I think it was thirty episodes. Came out earlier this year. Um, I don't think it's available on DVD yet officially. At least I looked on the Yes Asia website and I didn't see it there. But you can find it. Um, there are some other movie sites out there that, uh, in other countries that have it for sale. Um, I won't promote any of them directly here on the show, but if you are interested in getting a hold of it, you can send me an email and I can uh, hook you up with some places to get a hold of the series. But basically, as I understand it, Lives of Omission is supposed to be a sequel to EU. I yes. guess, which is the original series. But that see, this is where, where everything loses me because Turning Point, the original Turning Point is the prequel to EU. Yes. And in EU, if I understand it correctly, the Laughing Go, uh, laughing go character doesn't survive. <laughs> Except the very final moment, uh, due to viewers' demand, they brought him back. He has the last scene of EU, actually. Okay, so he doesn't die. Uh, he, he dies, I think, on screen. Or, or I'm not. He dies in a series. He dies like somewhere in the middle or towards the end, last third. But then in the very final scene of EU, because of your demand, they gave him one extra scene where he's in the police locker room and he's a cop once more, just to yeah. set up, I guess, just to bring the character back for you know as a fan service. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Uh, he he so died, but then he didn't. So it's kind of yes. like they pulled a, a a Star Trek episode, Star Trek Wrath of Khan, and then search for Spock. <laughs> um, but spoiler alert, right? Um, so yeah, so Lives of a Mission is the the latest series that just came out, and so this comes on the heels of that. It continues the the plights of the Laughing Go character. Now, not to get into too much, but basically, at the end of Lives of Omission, um, the 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 character is char uh, the character of La- main character Laughing Go, played by Michael Tse. He's charged with the murder of a triad member. Um, who is played by Bosco uh, Bosco Wong. His character's name is uh, Michael Toe, I think. Um, and he's charged with murder, and he ends up in going to jail for, for that. Um, and there are some other supporting characters, like Kate Soy, um, who, who also have a role in the film. But a lot of the other people that you see here in this movie, you've got Francis Ng, Chapman Toe, Janice Mann. I don't think they're in the series. No, they weren't. Um, so MC Jin was sadly. What was he? Yeah, so, I think so. so. Yeah. So they're kind of brought in, um, and there's a little bit of revision from what I've read going on. Again, I didn't watch the whole series, but I, I read up on it a little bit. A little bit of revision going on in places. Um, so it creates a few new hooks and and, and histories um, in in some of the backstory about the incident that happens between Michael Tse's character and Bosco Wong's character that ends up putting. Michael Tse in jail. While he's there, he decides he's going to be undercover and and uh, helping this 
this team out, this this other investigative team, I guess they're with uh, sort of the internal affairs group, investigating other police officers and some kind of drug corruption. And so as he's going through this, he meets this doctor, played by Francis M., who's got all these high-minded ideals about the difference between breaking the law and actually committing a crime. And it gets very, very preachy in a lot of places about, you know, when black is black and white is white, and when black isn't always black and white isn't always white. And um, there, there's a lot of, you know, it, it, it talks a lot about the philosophy of moral ambiguity, which is kind of interesting for a while, but then they keep kind of coming back to it and rehashing it. And it's like, yeah, we got the point. Move on and tell some story. Um, in, in other ways, though, this movie is just beating a dead horse, and that is sort of the... Uh, laughing go phenomenon that, and I, I'm not really sure why it's a phenomenon. I mean, he's an okay character, um, but for some reason the character caught on in Hong Kong, and uh, they just made keep make keep making TV series and and keep making movies. I was really surprised that Herman Yao was a, you know on as the director of this again, and I kind of thought is Herman Yao phoning it in? Is he you know does uh, Baby need a new pair of shoes? What's going on? <laughs> um, <laughs> Although it does have his his touch in a few places. Um, at the end of this movie, there are some newspaper headlines, which is kind of very reminiscent of, um, uh, what was the movie that we all liked from a couple years ago? Um, Split Second Murders, right. right? Where where a lot of the events in there were sort of tied in with newspaper headlines. It kind of does that in the end, but that's not none of that is subtitled. So if you're not reading, reading a Chinese... Um, well, it's going to sort of flash and you're going to gonna miss a lot of what's going on. Um, and there's just, I don't know why they do this, but if people are like watching the movies, there may be some confusion between some of the actors. So for example, in the first movie, you had Francis M playing a completely different character. He was a triad member. Um, he was the father, or no, he was the bro- older brother of Fala Chen, who was... Um, plays a different character who is laughing goes girlfriend in that but then in the tv series lives of a mission she's also laughing goes girlfriend but it's a completely different character and it's just so weird that you know it's like tvb has this staple of actors and it's such a limited staple you know or stable that they've got to play this different roles all the time it's like you can't find one or two other people to come in and do this i mean did they have to get Francis Ng to do this role? Was he necessary? Could they have gotten, you know, Tony Leung or uh, anybody else, you know, somebody who wasn't in the first Laughing Go film? Well, um, it's just like the, the um, the, what was it, the Young and Dangerous Syndrome, where, you know, you have Roy Chun or whoever uh, playing, you know, the villain and two, two different villains yeah, in different yeah. installments, you know, killing, you know, three times or something. So some of some of that, it may throw some people for a loop. It threw me for a loop for a while trying to figure out is, you know, is this a remake? Is it a reinterpretation? You know, what's going on? Um, and it kind of, all that just kind of serves as a distraction. I mean, Francis is fine in, in the role. He's basically just t- doing his typical Francis kind of shtick. You know, he, he has two things. He either does angry acting or inquisitive acting. And he's not doing... He did angry acting in the first uh, Laughing Go film, Turning Point, the first Turning Point. And in this one, he's doing the inquisitive acting where he's like always asking the question, 
you know, what do you think if it's like this, you know, and I think you should follow the way I'm doing things. Um, <clears throat> in, in short, it was all right. I'd say if you're a big fan of the, the series, if you're somebody who is planning to watch Lives of Omission and you want some resolution to that, um, this may provide it, though not very well. In that case, I'd say TV it. Otherwise, I'd say skip it. Um, because there's really, especially if you're taking this film in the context of just the films, if you're watching like Turning Point 1 and then this one, there's a huge gap. It's not going to be very clear what's going on. You're not going to really understand, you know, who some of these characters are. Like Kate Soy's character is just wandering around in the days for the most part. And if you haven't seen her character in the TV series, it's just not going to be really clear. Um, what's going on with that. And the same with Bosco Wong when he pops up in a few places. Kevin? Okay. Um, I was a little lost because I never saw Lives of Mission. Actually, none, neither of the TV series I saw. So I never really understood the appeal of Laughing Gall character, even though he, he was actually the most the standout character in EU because of his sense of humor. Um, I didn't see any sense of humor in, neither, in that character in neither of the films. So even to the day, I still don't get the appeal of the Laughing God character. Um, it was cheap and shot quickly, very quickly. I think about two, three weeks uh, back in November, for crying out loud. That was two months ago. Um, and yes, it shows because half the movie looks like it was shot on TVB Studio uh, in HD. So it might as well be like a little bigger, you know, a little more elaborate version of a TV show. Um, like you said, Francis Zang totally phoning it in. Um, he's doing this, you know intelligent scholar thing and his speech he looks like he's being contemplative but he's actually just like what's my line what's my line all the time um <laughs> and it's almost like he's trying to make every every line he says um important meanwhile he's like improvising the whole thing um like the first film laughing gall here is just kind of getting pulled around and you know doesn't actually do do anything I guess important in the film he's just wandering around and, and you know his just the side characters all over overshadow him again so I, again I don't see the, uh, the 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 appeal even the other characters are not don't quite work including um, Janice Mann who's always in hot pants even though she's like this career executive officer wannabe aspiring executive officer who, which means she's a cop with a desk job you know who plays this police character but then next thing you know she's supposed to be you know she's supposed to be a police officer and next thing you know she's crying about never having been to Japan and Europe and wearing hot pants and then you know screaming how she's just some ordinary girl and I'm like what's going on and <laughs> yeah and please stop letting MC Jin in movies um, I know he was in TV series I don't care I just don't I'm sorry, MC Jin can't even speak perfect Cantonese. I mean, I'm not going to be in TV series, so therefore MC Jin should not be in, should not be in TVB series nor movies, okay? Um, yeah, but he brings in the youth demographic. He, yeah, I doubt anyone's going to buy a ticket because MC Jin's in the movie, you know? Not even his fans of, of his BET work, which I am uh, a fan of his BET work. The six weeks he was on, uh, what was it, 10106 and Park. Um, even that didn't, you know, I didn't see MC Jin's in, in this movie. I must watch it. No, didn't work. Um, but w what the film did have was a lot of political discourse for some reason. Um, a lot of hidden messages. I think a lot of political allegories you know, about the nature of revolution, especially, uh, and how, you know, breaking the law 
doesn't necessarily mean it's a crime. And I think um, it's a very kind of not very subtle political message uh, that that is supposed to be relevant to the times um, about how it's okay. And I don't want to get us banned in China, but how it's like okay to start a revolution, even though it's against the law, because you know the law is stuff like that. Um, but I have a feeling that Herman Yao put in all this stuff about TVB knowing. I think TVB wanted a movie of Laughing Gall, and since Herman Yao made this successful film last time that was actually good, they kind of let him do whatever he wanted. And I think just kind of, he just kind of sneaked it in without telling them. And the end, in the end, there's way too many grand ideas for a cop film. Way too much political discourse, and they don't feel they, they feel like they, they belong in a different film. They don't belong here, especially this you know simple crime thriller story. Um, it, and in the end, he even pulls out the Martin Luther King "I Have a Dream" speech, you know, which actually got our entire group, you know, just we just lost it. And like, you know, in the end, there's all these inner titles of like current events and even past events, you know, like the riots in Hong Kong and most recently the Choyuan Village uh, issue. And I'm just like, come on, doesn't it? Does you know? It's good that Herman Yao has ambitions, and it's good that he has all these great, um, really intriguing ideas political ideas um social issues things like that but it's totally the wrong place at the wrong time yeah. at one point in the film um Kara Hoy has a has a small role and and you know she's a an a, an opium dealer she runs poppy farms in the, the golden triangle and they're they're i think Francis you know he comes out and he's like oh you know the reason why we have a golden triangle is because of colonialism and the British brought in opium to, during the, you know, the, the opium wars and, and... She also talks about the 99%. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's like, <laughs> you don't even leave 1% for us and if, if I don't do my, if I don't grow my poppies, you know, one child will die per day. And, and it's just, it's very high-minded and, and very... Oh, yeah, it's very political in yeah, in, in a lot of ways, it, yeah, it's, and it, it's, it's it's very you know it's like there are quite a few speeches where they say oh you know the law is written you know it's it's the old um, um, the golden rule kind of speech you know he who has the gold makes the rules and the law is there to protect the people in power and and they keep going through this and and it's an interesting point but they keep kind of returning to it in in, in a couple monologues. It's the wrong film for it, I think. I mean, there was a TVB series recently. Um, I think some people who read Western media might have heard of it called When Heaven Burns. Um, that it's, it's actually what the first banned TVB drama in the mainland since 1991. And in it, there's a lot of, um, uh, again, a lot of allegories, a lot of references to possibly the Tiananmen incident. And even then, it explores a lot of social issues, which is okay because in the series, there's, it's actually about a guy who was trying to run for legislative uh, council and there's a guy who runs stock market. So it actually deals with these issues directly on the surface. But, you know, it's, and it's fine for them to talk about po- politics and social issues. But here, it's a laughing gun movie for crying out loud. <laughs> it's the wrong place and it's the wrong time. And I know, for, I know for a fact, because I know someone who actually was at a test screening with a Shaw internal screening um for this film, and even the executives actually weren't really with it. Um, so I know for a fact that actually, even I mean Herman Yao, I mean even the the people at TVB and Shaw Brothers didn't know what Herman Yao was going to do, and that he was going to pull out this thing. And well, the, the, I, I think if they're mad, it's simply they're mad because there can no longer be any more 
laugh and go movies. <laughs> Spoiler, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> How do this movie there anymore? But in in the end, it's kind of ambiguous. But anyway, um, ambiguous? Are you kidding me? Yes, it's a little ambiguous. <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. I mean, okay, maybe not. But you know, if they, if they brought him back once, they can bring him back again. Yes, you know, it's he's like, gonna be yeah, called Zombie Go. It's like a six million dollar man, six million dollar yeah. laughing goal or something, you know. Or they could have like he. he they're gonna, have, like, do, they're gonna do their own version of uh, the Walking Dead. He got a twin brother in New York. They'll call it the Talking Dead. No, the twin brother in New York. Trick, you know, <laughs> eat your freaking chow mein. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but yeah, even even I think Herman Yao kind of pulled a fast one, and and they it, it wasn't finished in time to save to reach to do reshoots. I mean, there were reshoots, but. Um, there weren't much time left because I think the, the screen took place in early December, which is what two, three weeks before the movie actually opened. So how much time did they really have to rescue the movie? So it, it came out as is. Um, and really, it's a mess. Um, I'm sure it's going to make money because it was it was produced so cheaply. Um, TVB got their laughing goal movie. Herman Yao got his political political things out of his system. But we all lose because we had to pay and sit through this mess. Um, I would say skip it. Not even TV. Just, just skip it. Mm-hmm. My God. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, in comparison, just from the films, uh, I think Turning Point One stands on its own fine. Um, it's not a great film, but it's not bad. It's not terrible. It's 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 a genre film. You know, it's a it's a infernal affairs kind of wannabe film. This is I don't know. It's more like trying to be like a city on fire or prison on fire uh, wannabe. And it just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, Occupy Stanley, I guess, with all the ideas there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, two West Green films to talk about this week, although there were a lot of films out in the December time period. A couple of those films will be coming here um, prior to Chinese New Year. There was a lot of stuff playing, and but not a lot of interesting stuff. So what did we have in December? We had a new Twilight movie. Um, we had a new Alvin and the Chipmunks. Um, we had War Horse, which... No, I, not yet, not yet. Not until... Wait, well, you mean in America? Or yeah, the, the, they, they released it on, I think, on Christmas Day. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the America, US. Yes. And my, my parents were like, you want to see War Horse? I'm like, I'm not going on Christmas Day to watch a, move, a war movie. You know, it's just, I, I, it's not happening. Um, you know, I'd sooner go see Alvin and the Chipmunks on Christmas Day than, than watch uh, a movie about war. Um, and I just have a feeling it's not a feel-good movie. You know, it's just, you, you can tell. It's, it's, it's not, it's not going to end in a happy place. I could be wrong, but I don't know. Um, yeah, but a lot of, lot of stuff, I didn't get to see a whole lot, but there wasn't a whole lot that really kind of interested me either. Uh, including the two films we're going to talk about. Um, the first one up is Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. Now, this is a, a sequel to the Sherlock Holmes reboot from director Guy Ritchie, which came out a few years ago, starring Robert Downey Jr. as the title character Sherlock Holmes, and Jude Law returns as uh, Dr. John Watson. Um, also in this film, you've got Naomi Rapace, who is actually, um, we talked a little bit earlier about the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the original version, um, she is the original girl with the dragon tattoo, if I have my actresses correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have Jared Harris coming in to play the role of Professor James Moriarty, and a nice little cameo of uh, Stephen Fry as Mycroft Holmes, the brother 
of uh, Sherlock Holmes. Um, so basically this tells the story of sort of the <clears throat> cat and mouse game between uh, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty, who's briefly introduced um, in, in, a, in a somewhat hidden manner in the first film. And he's given a much more prominent role here. Um, and basically, the, the plot revolves around um, Sherlock trying to uncover the machinations of Professor Moriarty. Uh, and that's really it. Um, it's not as it's not it, it's not as in depth as I thought it was going to be, and you'd think with a title like A Game of Shadows, that there would be a lot more going on, you know, sort of beneath the surface. And I never really got that sense here. Um, but basically, it, it's sort of alluding to the buildup to um, World War One, and the basically the um, the war machine, as it were, the the um, the infrastructure and the industry of war is sort of at play here. Um, and, you know, in that sense, I guess there, you know, from, from a historical perspective, there's a little bit of interest in it. But then at the same time, if you do understand history, it kind of makes the end result of the film kind of moot. I don't know. Um, my first question, though, going into this was, whatever happened to Brad Pitt? Right? I mean, it, 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 was that a dream I had? Because I seem to recall um, during the time that this film was, the, the first film was released, there was all this hype about, oh, there's, a, there's secret pictures of Brad Pitt in, in the movie, and he's tagged to be Moriarty in the sequel. Uh, and he never shows up. So did, did I... Did I misread a blog somewhere? Do you remember anything about that, Kevin? Yeah, this I've never heard. You never heard no, this? This I've never heard. Okay, no, yes. No. Was, this, was, this was being hyped around the time, and, and I could have sworn that, um, you know, this was a real thing. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just a rumor that, w that was floating around. Um, Very wishful so, thinking, I would say. Yeah, if you're out there and you heard this rumor too, um, please write in and let us know, because it could just be the fact that I'm getting old. Um, oh, you say the fact that you're getting high. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, that too. That's a distinct possibility. Um, you know, uh, one too many uh, instant noodles can do that to you. Um, but basically, this is more of the same from the first film. You've got, you've sort of got the, the buddy bromance uh, cop, you know, sort, it's sort of, sort of, you know, th that same kind of uh, good cop, bad cop kind of approach that they take and the, the, the brotherhood between the two guys. But you know, you've got Dr. Watson, who's going on getting married and, and he, you know, his relationship getting in the way of his relationship with Holmes. And that's still a continuation from the first film. Um, this one really lacks the supernatural tone that the first one had, and I kind of missed that. This is very much straightforward. And, and, I mean, basically, Moriarty here is just a big bad capitalist at the end of the day. And that's not who... I always saw Moriarty as I always saw him as having much more devious and uh, much more being 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 much more of a you know sort of a criminal mastermind than he's portrayed here. I mean, there are some nice moments between between the characters, but it never really gets into that place that I always felt that these two uh, would kind of be at in in kind of uncovering and and and. Uh, 
sort of stopping and going forward and stopping and going forward with each other's schemes. Um, Stephen Fry was great, uh, and I would say, give me Stephen Fry as Sherlock. Give me that movie, and I think I'd like it a little bit better, because this really, as it boils down to it, it's a period film with modern day, a lot of modern day action. Um, Big explosions, big bangs. Um, The plot didn't really engage me so much. The reveals were kind of always the same. They did this to, to good effect in the first film, but I was hoping they'd move on from that in this film, where basically you go forward, you get into these situations, and then later, like at the last minute, um, Holmes will reveal, you, you'll revisit the situations, and you'll see sort of what actually happened. And in some ways, that's kind of cheap. I mean, because if you show the audience one vision and they don't have any ability to see anything outside of that going on, and then you go back and say, well, this is really what happened. I, I don't know. To me, that comes off as kind of um, just dishonest in some ways. I mean, I think there are clever ways that you can do it in which, and, and I think they did this to some extent in the first film, and then they're just simply... Uh, there's just simply fooling the audience by saying, this is what you see. Actually, no, uh, this is what really happened. And what we showed you before was actually not the whole thing. I mean, give us some clues, give us some hints that there's more going on in a scene and let a clever audience member pick up on that. And I think it'd be fine, but they didn't really do that here. Um, And so that left me a little bit disappointed with that technique and the way that they were using it. Because... I don't know, there's just, the reveals themselves were not always that interesting. Um, The other problem, too, and I'll say, you know, I'll fess up to this, is I pulled a Kevin. Um, (laughs) I actually fell asleep in a couple places. I I blame jet lag. I'm certain it was only for a few minutes at a time. Um, But, yeah, that happened, and that should be, uh, you know, taken into account with my review. I would say... For me, definitely not as fun as the first one, not as engaging as the first one. Um, Again, I did like some of the banter with Moriarty, um, but I just felt that the characterization was not as interesting or intriguing as it could have been. And the overall plot, I mean, the overall thing that they're kind of going back and forth with didn't seem all that interesting. I mean when you when it come what when it, what it comes down to when it when you talk about it in the scope of history and the scope of how things unfolded it didn't really seem that impactful um from my perspective and and they kind of address that in in a few places in the film too um i just think it could have they could have had a better overall story arc i guess um but i'd say you know tv it um it's 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 worth uh, you know watching in tandem with with the first film, although I like the first one better. Kevin, um, I pulled a Kevin too. Honestly, <laughs> you always pull a Kevin. I always pull Kevin. It's me. Um, but I did catch it, it woke me up. I guess um, I fell asleep for about fifteen minutes. I think I missed the big train action scene. I didn't realize this, but I didn't sleep that much. Okay, because I yeah. Anyway, um. This installment is louder, bigger, but not necessarily better, I think. Um, like you said, a lot of the same elements are brought back. Um, you have the, the, the Sherlock Holmes, the bromance between Sherlock Holmes and uh, and Watson, um, which is even weirder this time because Sherlock Holmes is 
trying to stop Watson from getting married, which is kind of creepy. You know, I don't know any friend that would try and do that. Um, it's a little gay, I think. Um, but yeah, it's really more of the same stuff. Um, you have the whole Holmes as, you know, I guess martial arts expert or, or fighting expert, whatever. And, and, um, it's just really more of the same. Um, I think Moriarty versus Holmes should have been a little more cerebral than what we got here. Um, instead we got, you know, machine guns and explosions and, you know, Sherlock Holmes holding guns, shooting people. It's just not, as far as I, I, you know, I am not very knowledgeable in Sherlock Holmes mythology, but there's something about Sherlock Holmes holding a gun and shooting people that just kind of, you know, a little off for me. I'm not sure about you, Paul. Yeah. Um, however, the climactic showdown between Moriarty and Holmes at the end, which is all, again, back to the whole cerebral nature of things, is pretty good. I quite like that ending. Um, otherwise, the mystery isn't, the so-called mystery isn't really all that intriguing, I think. Um, it's It's not predictable per se but it's not really worth i guess trying to guess your way because it's not really much it's more adventure an adventure than a mystery um even more so than the first film um it is entertaining it's loud and you know it's even louder than the first film there's a lot more action and i guess people like that but ultimately it's been two weeks since i saw and i already forgot much of the plot Mm. um which is kind of disappointing i guess uh because i remember that there was some, you know, clever stuff in there of the case and a lot of the little details that were kind of clever, but it's ultimately pretty forgettable, just like, you know, any good Hollywood entertainment. Um, but I wouldn't mind a third film, I guess. You know, Downey is great as Holmes, even though he may not be the ideal Holmes for, for some people, um, but he's a good kind of a postmodern, I guess, uh, 21st century Holmes. Um, and... You know, it's good chemistry with Jude Law, which I hope never turns into romantic chemistry. Um, and I am sad that um, what's name, Rachel McAdams won't be in the third film anymore because I liked her better than um, the Nomi Rapace character, actually. I like that little, um, the, the, the witty banter, the is she evil or is she not kind of thing that's going on for the, the first film. Um, and I'll miss her in the third film. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, you know, I wouldn't, you know, go out of my way to catch it. I would say it's a Blu-ray or rent it or TV it, I think, at best. Yeah, and, and he, <clears throat> I mean, I, I understand what Guy Ritchie is doing with, you know, throwing in his his style behind it. Um, and I wouldn't say they're bad, but yeah. It's sorry, just not saying. Sherlock. It's, a, it's a, I mean, if you have access to, to BBC, the, um, the 2010 short series and i think the season two actually just started this past week of sherlock um is excellent it's it's sort of a modern day uh reimagining of the of the two characters um i think sherlock holmes is played by uh benedict cumberbatch i think his name is who's kind of a you know he's he's i guess he's fairly new in the in the bbc acting scene but He's excellent, and and uh, Martin Freeman plays Watson, and um, it's just it's it's a much more cerebral vision, even though it's a modern vision of the characters, and it's exactly what I think, you know, is lacking from this film the the the, the smartness rather than going around and doing all the action and 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 all the guns and all the explosions and stuff. It's a lot more cerebral, um, and 
it's comparable to say Doctor Who, and and, and it's in part because one of the creators was uh, worked on Doctor Who, um, the the sort of the Doctor Who reboot, and that kind of shows in it. But if you're looking for something that's a lot more cerebral than what you're given here for the characters, I'd say definitely check that series out. It's short. I think the first season is just like three episodes, but they're fantastic. All right, our last film for the December time period that we saw, the, the other big blockbuster, uh, is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um, this is coming from director Brad Bird, who, of all the things, I mean, this guy has got an animation background for the most part. He's worked on The Incredibles. He did Ratatouille. He's done a lot of other animation work in his repertoire. And then he just jumps to a Mission Impossible movie. Um, it seems like a weird transition, but who knows? Uh, could could work. I haven't seen it though. So Kevin, this one's all in your corner. Okay. Um, this is the fourth Mission Impossible movie, and um, again, Tom Cruise is on board um, as Ethan Hunt. Um, again, again, it's kind of a new mission as they do in every film. It's bare. It's vaguely unlike the earlier films. This is vaguely connected to the previous film but not exactly um here uh we see tom cruise again um on a new mission a new impossible mission so to speak because he is part of the impossible mission force um and the film begins in russia where he breaks out of prison um with the help of his new team um jane carter played by paula Patton, uh benji uh played by simon peck who's actually returning from the previous film um are those the only two yeah, those are the only two I remember. Anyway, so he's in the beginning of the film. They help Tom Cruise break out of a Russian prison, and then they continue on to a to a new mission, um, in, uh, involving the Kremlin because, um, they, they there's a I think there's a list of um spy covers that that is being out in the open, uh, which actually brought the team that broke Ethan Hunt out of the prison in the first place to Russia. So to 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 uh, continue the mission, to finish the mission, they they break into the Kremlin and try and uh, steal this list. But in the end, it leads to um, a terrorist uh, played by Mikhail Ninquez, uh, who was actually again the, the girl with the dragon tattoo. He actually played the original male character um, in 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 the Swedish film. So this is kind of like the week of the girl with the dragon tattoo, <laughs> I guess. Um, he plays a, a terrorist. Who is um, kind of like one of those mad scientist character who believes that the world will should be reset by nuclear war? Um, so he he's not only does he um, uh, intercept Ethan Hunt's mission, he also ste- he also blows up the Kremlin, steals I think uh, codes to nuclear bombs, and pins the whole crime on Ethan Hunt's t- team. So the the president initiates something called Ghost Protocol, which essentially disavows all the agents. Uh, it essentially renders the IMF useless. It doesn't exist anymore, and everyone's been disavowed. Um, but, uh, however, the, the director of the IMF uh, allows or essentially secretly orders Ethan Hunt to try and solve, solve um, to stop the terrorists. Um, with the, and before he's killed, uh, tells him you know, to continue the mission. And um, that's when William Brandt, uh, an analyst played by Jeremy Renner, joins the mission, and these four people will have to go and stop the this mass scientist before a uh, nuclear war starts. Um, this time, J.J. Abrams' production company is once again in charge. 
Um, of course, next to Tom Cruise. So this is the first time where they actually refer back to the previous film. Here, you hear a lot of references to the third film. Um, things about Tom Cruise's wife from the previous film uh, talked about here. And also, uh, of course, Ring Rain shows up at some point in the film because he is actually in every single Mission Impossible film, uh, but not in a way you expect. Um, and it is, um, you could say it's, I would call actually the third film kind of subversive of previous Mission Impossible films because it does uh, it does a few things that are kind of that the um, it broke a few genre conventions so to speak. Uh, here it, it kind of goes back to the root, uh, sticks closer to the to the spy film genre, um, but at least it is it is equally if not more fun because um, Brad Bird you could tell from his Pixar films or I never saw the Iron Giant but you could at least tell from his, from uh, the Incredibles that he's a great action designer. Um, and even The Incredibles is kind of like a superhero film done in the style of a spy film. So you could kind of tell the potential that Brad Bird had from The Incredibles already. And here he brings that a lot, that cartoonish style here. Um, and the action sequences are a lot of fun because there's so much little details going around. It's all about the details. It's not so much about the spectacle this time. Um, however, he does use the IMAX camera to shoot a few action sequences, the major ones, including one where Tom Cruise actually climbs um, a tower in Dubai. I, 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 the name escapes me right now, but it is the tallest tower in the world. And that is actually Tom Cruise climbing on the side of the tower. Um, he's, he's attached by wires, but just to be up that high, you know, even on wires, that's a pretty scary thing to do. And it's an amazing sequence, especially when watched on IMAX, uh, because it is shot on IMAX and the screen blows up to fill the entire screen and actually feel the height. And, um, and it's all about the details here. Um, the, the side cast is okay. Actually, I like the team in the third film better. Um, it did have Simon Pegg and also Maggie Q and um, what's his name? Um, uh, okay, Jonathan Reese Myers. Yeah, Jonathan Reese Myers uh, and Maggie Q and I think uh, even Vane Rames again, uh, who was a major part of the team in 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 the third film. I, I like that team better, but uh, I'm just for, I'm just very glad they brought back Simon Pegg and he's now a few agent in this installment. And I thought it was hilarious. Um, Paul Pan is okay. She's hot. But that's about it. You know, she's okay. Um, but I have to. I have a little complaint about the plots of these films. Not that the plot really matters here because the plot is so thin. But why is Ethan Hunt always getting set up or framed? You know, in first film he's framed, he's set up. Second film, okay. Second film is like straightforward mission. But in third film he gets set up and framed. Here he gets set up and framed. When is he gonna actually be able to pull off a mission? For crying out loud. Um, but I guess that's what made these things impossible. Um, and I guess you could say that's kind of the, the, the usual structure of these films. But like I said, I would like to see Ethan Hunt actually pull off a mission normally without getting set up a frame. It's really getting repetitive. Yeah. Um, Your mission, should you choose to accept it, go to Dunkin' Donuts and buy some <laughs> coffee. <laughs> um, but, well, it is kind of impossible here in Hong Kong. There is no Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and you go to China for Dunkin' Donuts. No. So, no. Anyway, um, as for the series, uh, and I'm going to say this, knowing that a lot of people don't agree with me. I still like the first one the best because it has, you know, Brian De Palma, it's a, he's a great visual stylist. I, I recently rewatched the first film on, uh, on television and I still love 
the 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 his use of the framing, the composition, everything is great. Um, even though you know it took me about four viewings to find understand the story, um, but I still love the first film the most. Um, this would be the second best. Very close, actually. It's a lot of fun, and I think um, it's a lot better than than I expected it to be. Uh, thanks to Brad Bird, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm not. However, actually, they brought on uh, Jeremy Renner this time. Um, his brand character actually to carry as a potential um, potential character to carry on the franchise. I'm sorry, but Ethan Hunt is still too too. Tom Cruise is still at the top of this game, and Tom Cruise is too too much of a star of the show. Even though they starting to kind of bring on heavy emphasis on the team more than his character, but I still think he is he is Mission Impossible, and I don't think Jeremy Renner is ready to carry the franchise yet. So. Bring on MI5 and bring back Tom Cruise. And yeah, it's it's tons of fun. So I hope we don't have to wait another, how many years it's been, what, five, six years for another Mission Impossible? I don't. I hope not. And I hope Brad Bird comes back, even though it's not going to happen. But I hope he. I hope Tom Cruise makes an exception and brings back Brad Bird because he is the director that this franchise needs. So yeah, see it. And, and I guess I give a marginal recommendation to IMAX, even though um, some people say the IMAX doesn't make a difference. I think it does make a difference for the Dubai sequences. I had a lot of fun watching it. So yeah, definitely see it either way. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. That's a show. First show of 2012. Woo-hoo. Last show of uh, movies from 2011. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to do it for our show. Um, you can, as always, catch us on iTunes, or you can catch us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio and we thank them for their support of our little show um do stop by and visit the website if you have a question for us you can post some comments in the commentary section and start some discussion there of course we'd love for you to stop by itunes and leave us a five-star review or an any star review if you've got some comments or some feedback for us um, we'd love to hear from you you can follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash concast um you can follow me at twitter.com slash foxlore and you can Follow Mr. Ma at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That's one word, twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. You can email us directly at the show at eastscreen at gmail.com. And if you'd like to, you can attach a short audio file, MP3 format, and we might just play it here on the show. Um, Kevin, what do you have going on? Where can people find what you're doing? You doing any reviews or writing this week? Um, I just wrote a, a giant blog entry on uh, my blog, uh, a 2011 films and uh, 2011 year in review entry uh, for my blog, The Golden Rock. That's at www.lovehkfilm.com. If you go to the homepage, you can find the link to my blog on the right side of the page. Um, also, this week, I will be writing two reviews for YP Movies. I will be writing about David Fincher's um, The Girl of the Dragon Tattoo. And uh, the Bollywood film, My Name is Khan, starring Shaka Khan. So you could cat, you could see those on the um, on www.ypmovies. 
www.ingleshmovies.com.hk. Click on the English page, and uh, you can look for those movies um, and read my reviews starting on, uh, I think, Friday, Hong Kong time. All right. Something to look forward to. And, of course, we've got uh, Chinese New Year, as I mentioned earlier. Right around the corner, a bunch of new movies coming. Um, some other good stuff. I, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last time, but I saw the trailer for The Hobbit. Um, the, ah. the official trailer is out. It looks great. Fantastic. Super excited. Uh, just got my hands on the Blu-ray extended edition of the Lord of the Rings set. And uh, that's... You got the forty nine ninety nine DO2 on yeah. Amazon? Uh, no, I actually got a local version because I wanted ah. uh, Chinese subtitles. Ah. And uh, looking forward to spending hours going through that at some point when I can find some time. But super excited for The Hobbit. Looks great. Um, very excited for that to come out. That will be December of this year, I guess, for the first part one, and then December of the following year for part two. Um, lots of other stuff, though, coming out this year. Super excited. And we'll be talking about the very first of the Hong Kong films uh, coming out this week, that is Speed Angels, in our next episode. That'll be episode 94 next week. Um, along with that, we'll, I think we'll probably be looking at the um, David Fincher version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And I'm not sure if anything else is uh, coming out this week of note. Anything there's you know? tons of stuff coming out, actually. Uh, there's Lost One Trier's uh, Melancholia. There's New Year's Eve. Um, there's also, uh, what else do we have? Uh, Texas Killing Fields, uh, a horror movie, a British horror movie called Awakenings. I don't think we'll be able to cover all those, but yeah, we'll try yeah, to We might throw we something can. else in there, depending on what we can get out and see. Um, but yeah, Speed Angels for sure, and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo should be for next week, episode 94. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, happy new year, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Uh-huh.